0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey, everyone, welcome to. We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the Robert Duvall to my George Hamilton, Perry Seibert. I I haven't had to do that for a
1: few over a month. I nearly I nearly strained something in my interior with that we're watching here. It felt good. Don't get me wrong. It was just like wow. I haven't used
0: that muscle in a while. That was that was weird. What muscle is that? I hope it's a laugh muscle. But
1: it's it's whatever whatever gets me to that Ratso Rizzo <laughs> we're watching here thing. I, I can't. Oh yeah it. yeah. I'm not a trained singer. I don't know, but how I get to that. But that's whatever I do to myself.
0: You'll be hoarse <laughs> so tomorrow. <laughs> I really hey, everybody! How, you know. re- how are you doing, Perry? I'm
1: I'm very good, Chris. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Uh so yeah, we should just address right off the bat. I think the last time we recorded a show was right after the Oscars. Yes. And I think we told you all we would be back in two weeks. Um, but life happens. We had vacations, graduations, weddings, so family graduations. trips. Job stuff. I life gets in the way, and that happens. But we're back, and we are about to start a series that I'm really excited about. That's going to take us through the whole summer, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but it's just it's good to be back. And Perry, what have you been watching?
1: I have been watching a bunch of stuff, Chris, both good and bad. Let's start with the let's start with the old. OK, but, uh, I had the fantastic pleasure of uh, my oldest graduated from college. And so she's back home for a little bit. And so uh, Emma and then I love to watch movies. She's the one who will watch anything with me. And so uh, but I, I like to try to find the stuff that I know she really likes. And she has a penchant for uh, she has a penchant for black and white comedies. Uh, and I had the distinct pleasure of showing her George Cooker's Adam's Rib. My favorite of the Hepburn Tracy films. If you've never seen it, you will be shocked how on point it is. (laughs) It actually hasn't lost much juice 70 years later as an examination of the sexes and the law. It's really good. It's really funny. Uh, It is one of my favorite Katherine Hepburn performances of all time uh it is uh, judy holiday and gene Hagen. if you don't have the the two greatest female comedic voices of that decade (laughs) on full display to enjoy uh it's just a pleasure of a movie uh i i actually don't know if it's streaming anywhere i had it sitting on the dvr off of tcm for about a year and a half waiting for the chance to to watch it with her uh so that was, that was the biggest pleasure by far. Uh, we don't need to talk about Army of the Dead because there's nothing <laughs> to talk about. And uh, I, I, did, I did watch Those Who Wish Me Dead oh. because I, uh, I, I, I quite like that writer-director. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to say it's bad, but I will say if you haven't seen Hell or
0: High Water, <laughs> uh, start there. Let's start there. Much, much stronger movie. That was my only interest in that movie is I loved Hell or High Water. And I just, the, the, it, something about it was telling me, maybe hold off on this one a bit. Maybe hold off a bit on this. So I haven't seen it yet. And uh, so it's an adaptation it. of a book.
1: And the writer of the book wrote the screenplay. And 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 the, this guy wrote, uh, did a polish on it because he's credited for the screenplay, but he's credited last. Okay. And he also directed it. And it feels like that. It feels like I can see why he was interested in this material. And he's much better than this material. Not that the material's bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's a perfectly fine programmer. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not exciting or interesting. <laughs> because that means nothing's wrong, Chris. You don't have to be exciting or interesting. You can still be right. <laughs> doesn't mean you're interesting, right?
0: <laughs> it's what my wife tells me. <laughs> Oh, so, Shoot, so what have you seen? Oh, what have I seen? Um, You know, I've been going through back through some of the films from 1996. Um, it, that was a really formative year for me. I, I have talked about how 1993 was the year I saw Jurassic Park and mm-hmm. the Flintstones. And it just, uh, you know, it kind of instilled a love for movies. 1999, I've called the year that the movies broke my brain. 96 was the year though, that I was 16 going on 17. So it's the first summer where I had my uh, driver's license. Okay. I turned 17 so I could see R rated movies. And it was the summer of twister and mission impossible and the nutty professor. So it was the first summer where every week I was out at the movies. So it was huge. And so for my, uh, for my newsletter, I've started going through back to some of those movies that are turning 25 this summer. And um. yeah it's interesting Uh, um it it is interesting how some of those are not what i remembered as a a 17 year old um twister a bit stupid um but uh, (laughs) it's it's pretty dumb um you know it, it is a it is a roller coaster and that is all it is it is a Theme park ride, waiting for the queue line to be built. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, but you know it's it, it's whatever. Um, but I did watch um, Independence Day with my son, and he actually he had a really good time with that, and I he had did. a good time. It's that's who it's it, for. It, it is. Yeah, it's, it, so- it, it's absolutely a big, broad, stupid, silly movie, and those are the things I like about it. Um, but then the one I did like was uh, I watched Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, it's solid. Yes. it's suddenly gone from this uh, franchise where I saw the movie when it came out in 96 and it was kind of obligatory. It was the movie that was opening that weekend. I knew nothing about Brian De Palma. Yeah, I knew who Tom Cruise was. I was way too young to have sat through any of the mission impossible TV shows. So it was kind of, I went because it was the big actioner Um, and, and it was a movie I liked. I, Think I had it on VHS. I don't think I watched it much again, but I love all the new ones. Um, but watching it again, it's just—it's such a fun, stylish little movie. Uh, yeah. it, it's definitely De Palma light, but it is—it's it, a big budget blockbuster that actually puts thought into its composition. That feels like yes. it's coming from a certain art- artist. I—I I quite enjoyed that. Um, and then I did go out to the movies and I saw uh, Street Gang the uh the how do we get oh, yes. to Sesame Street and i enjoyed that quite a bit it's uh it's based on the book which i highly recommend and it's about the history of sesame street um the, the it really covers a lot of same material as the book i think there's probably about a 4 or 5 episode documentary series you could do on sesame street it's i think that important of a show that groundbreaking and impactful of a show but this hits Absolutely. all the high points. I mean, it it really gives credit due not just to Jim Henson, but Joan Cooney and John Stone and the work they did in creating that show. Um, you know, there's definitely the section on Joe Raposo, who I don't think you could talk about Sesame Street without mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real reason to see it is, you know, you get to watch behind the scenes of Jim Henson and Frank Oz, you know, performing Bert and Ernie. Uh, there are outtakes where uh, Muppets swear, which is one of the greatest things in life I discovered. Um, Hearing Carol Spinney as Oscar the Grouch say bastard or talk about how the problem about being on Sesame street is he doesn't get to have much sex is uh, it's an experience, Uh, but it's, it's a really fun little documentary. Uh, I think it's out of theaters by now. It is on demand. I assume it's an HBO production. So I assume it'll hit HBO sometime this year, but uh, it's well worth a look. If you are interested in that show and those artists. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really, really a fun look.
1: I scammed my sister-in-law's Disney plus uh, sign in okay. uh, a couple weeks ago. And we went through uh, uh, someone in my house needed to pick me up. So I said, all right, so we need to go through some Muppet show stuff. Cause oh, they yeah. haven't seen those. And I haven't, I, I mean, I remember watching the show with religious fervor as a child but haven't, I, I I I don't, I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually seen an episode of The Muppet Show. Um, and in about two hours, we ripped through episodes with Shields and Yarnell, Christopher Reeve, John Denver, and it was glorious. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I, I, I always, I, you know, you know how good the show is, but you really kind of forget, if you don't watch it, how good that show was.
0: It's so sharp, so funny, and just... The, the puppetry is just amazing. There's actually a uh, Henry Ford museum is starting a whole Jim Henson exhibit this, uh, this coming week. And it's going to go out over the summer. And I really want to get out there for that. Yes. Uh, yes. So, viewing. So yeah, those are what we've been watching lately. Uh, we're going to take a step back now from new movies. And this summer we're starting a new mini series. It's called the summer of the seventies. Uh, and we're going to be talking about several films from that decade. Uh, I will give full disclosure that part of the reason I want to do this is it is catch up for me it is it is me filling in some of those gaps that I need to have, uh, although I think the first few we have I've actually seen and seen fairly recently Um, not just not just the Godfather but in the uh, episodes to come I've seen those but. You know, there's always a good time to revisit so many of these movies, and I'm excited Absolutely. just to talk about them. Um, And so we are starting today. We're going to talk about Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather trilogy, uh, a movie I think we discussed briefly earlier this year. This is kind of how the ball got rolling on this. I had seen them uh, the first two over Christmas break. It was my first visit of the Godfather since maybe I was 18 or 19 and my first time seeing Godfather part two at all. And so you brought up, hey, we should do an episode on the Godfather. That made sense to me. And uh, it it just seemed to make sense to follow it up with some more really great movies, especially at a time when, you know, this is the time where we're seeing all the ephemeral stuff. So let's talk about the stuff that sticks to the ribs. Sure. And for me, I wanted to do this because I
1: received a copy of the coda. Okay. Uh, the 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 recut of godfather 3 for christmas and it was i i had watched it and was uh wanted to do something more than a uh what i've been watching with it but didn't want to do a whole episode without you and then you said you saw the first you're like yes let's do this there's perfect reason to talk about all three of these
0: and i should say i did watch my the version of godfather 3 i watched was the coda so uh oh okay so we can talk about if you if you if, have
1: or have not done your research i can fill I you
0: in on how they improved it <laughs> uh, that that sounds good. Um, so I don't I don't even know with with the Godfather we were talking about this beforehand. It's it's kind of one of those great things where it's like oh the Godfather is such a great movie. Godfather two such a great movie. Let's talk about it, and then you find yourself surrounded by the mountains of people who have talked about it yeah, before. Exactly. Um, so I, I guess that's that's the end. Like I, I I guess my thought was you know whenever you have kind of these sacred cows. It's like, okay, is it time to do some barbecuing, right? Is it time to take that sacred cow and say, it ain't that sacred. <laughs> but I can't make that argument with The Godfather. These are great well, movies. Y- yes, the, the arguments you have, and I think
1: it's, uh, for me, it is one of those quintessential film nerd arguments where, uh, you know, it, forced to make a choice, you know, Chaplin or Keaton, <laughs> Godfather, Godfather 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i think there's an absolute right answer on both of those and for me it's 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 the godfather okay <laughs> I, I i i i'm i i i don't believe that the godfather 2 is as good and that's to say i think godfather 2 is great don't get me wrong <laughs> i just think that i i think that it because of its conception, the only reason Couple of weight made it was to make sure that everybody understood Michael was a horrible person. And mm-hmm. if you don't understand that by the end of one, that the problem's on you because it's there in the movie. And you could be conflicted about that. You could still really like him, you could still feel sympathy for him, but you need to understand he's a horrible, horrible person by the end of The Godfather. <laughs> that was crystal clear. And mm-hmm. two, to me, always felt like all the modern stuff, all that, all the, all the, uh, the non-De Niro stuff in Godfather 2 always felt to me like a less interesting version of something I saw the first time. Uh, not to say it's not interesting. I said less interesting. I'm comparing it to one of the 10 greatest movies ever made. I, I am not burning the sacred cow here. I just would point out that a movie we're going to talk about in a coming episode should have won Best Picture that year, not Godfather Part 2. Okay, That said, the De Niro stuff is fantastic. It is one of the most beautifully filmed films ever. Uh, I know, I know Gordon Willis will forever go down as the Prince of Darkness, uh, but the man knew how to paint with light better than anybody. And those sepia-toned early sequences with De Niro are so good and so, such a pleasure to look at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they're interesting and they're fun. And De Niro's fantastic. Uh so, yes. And uh, I, the part of the reason this episode has been delayed so long is because I wanted to revisit two. I probably haven't seen it in, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. Uh, I don't go back to it often. Uh, I find it a bit of a chore. Uh, I found it less of a chore than I expected to this time around. I will say that. <laughs> but all things being equal, I, you know, The Godfather was the film I started watching every Saturday morning at about age 12 when I was done with cartoons, wow. meaning stop watching cartoons. I would put the Godfather on at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. <laughs> and that was my Saturday morning. <laughs> I enjoy the Godfather a lot. I think it's a great <laughs> film. Um, but I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious for you to have not. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I grew up with the Godfather and Godfather two. Uh, thanks to screenings on HBO uh, as a kid. And then Godfather Three comes out. What nineteen ninety?
0: Nineteen ninety. Yep. Nineteen yep,
1: ninety. So I am seventeen at that point. I, I only had to live like you know five years with the Godfather. Godfather Two before seeing Three. I'm very curious, uh, Chris, what it was like for someone to have just seen Two and to not see Three too too much longer after
0: mm-hmm. that. What's that? What's What's that like? Well, uh, it, it feels. Well, let's go back to your other question first. Okay, uh, where you you bring up what's better, you know, it's that constant debate. Godfather, Godfather Two. I I could hear an argument from someone why they think Godfather Two is a better made film. It's a little more complex. It it, it, it it's a little richer in some ways. I like the the, the uh, flashback structure, but I, I, I mean, Godfather is such a rewatchable movie. It is such a pleasure to watch that movie um i think i said this when we talked about it uh i had not seen the godfather since i was 18 or 19 so we're talking 20 years (laughs) since i had last seen it Mm -hmm. and you know it was long enough ago where when i saw it i had to go and rent the two vhs copy Uh, i i I remember it was like a monday afternoon my freshman year of college i was home and i was like i have this time here's this three-hour movie watched it in one sitting just Glued to the TV the whole time, and then I think it was probably shortly after that I watched Goodfellas, and I feel like Goodfellas (laughs) just—I mistakenly just had the idea. Well, now that I've seen Goodfellas, I don't need Godfather anymore. Which that's that's a mistaken note. That's a really dumb decision to make because (laughs) they there is room for both in my heart. Um, and, And I think it like Godfather is it's it's a well done movie. It's a perfectly done movie. It's just such a wonderful closed world we're invited into. Like, yeah, I, I, there are a few films that build a world as good as the Godfather does, you know, by the end of that first hour, who everyone is and what their role is going to be over the next following two hours. And, and it's great. And it's exciting. It's entertaining. It's moving. I revisited it. And like, again, I had not thought about it in 20 years I instantly, you know, I'm at that wedding and I'm like, oh, that's Sunny, That's, uh, yeah, you know, that's Kay. I, I knew who these characters were. And it was like revisiting people I was very fond of. Yes. Um, Godfather Part 2, which I watched like a week after, I did struggle with. Um, I, I like you. I thought all of the uh, De Niro stuff was fantastic. And there's that whole sequence where he's, he's stalking the guy over the rooftop. Yes, the straight, black hand. Right? Yes. And it is. It is one of the most gorgeous scenes to just sit and take in. Yeah. Like, and to the point where my mind boggles too, like that was, you know, obviously years before you could recreate everything in a computer. And I'm yes. like, they, they had to make this look like, you know, a hundred years earlier and, it's seamless. It looks gorgeous and rich and vibrant. Um, the stuff with in the modern day with per, Michael and you know the the family conspiracies, the assassination attempt, and Roth. Yeah it yes. it was really plotty <laughs> and to the point where uh, there was there was a part of me asking, people think this is as good as the first one. And then you do get to that, you know, the betrayal with Fredo and the decision that Michael needs to make. And it does hit emotionally. But I think you're right in that everything you need to know about the state of Michael's soul, which is really the concern of this whole trilogy, the state of his soul, the decisions he's going to make, the bridges he's going to burn. It is all there when he shuts the door at the end of the first movie. Right. You can figure out where that's going. And you know this because they
1: just recreate it for two. Like, yeah, he can't even come up with a better visual metaphor for Michael's issues. <laughs>
0: so like, he just repeats it. <laughs> but what I like it about two is it does enrich in it by, I, I love the way that it shows you how Michael and Vito are different. Why one was a man who, you know, maintained the respect of the family, of his family, the other isolated them. I, I appreciate that. I still think it's all there. At the end of the first movie, but I think the movie is so well done and so gripping to watch that it doesn't bother me. I just don't think it's as good as The Godfather. It's, you know, right. uh, Francis Ford Coppola, you, you say a movie we're going to discuss should have won Best Picture. I also would have put the other movie Francis Ford Coppola did that same year above Godfather Part Two. I love the conversation. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Um, <laughs> I have no problem with that again. But again, I, I, you know, it's The Godfather Part Two. I, I, I Really enjoy it. I really appreciate it. I have a little bit more of an issue with whether (laughs) Godfather Part 3 is necessary. Because that is literally at the end of Godfather Part 2. If you didn't get it at Part 1 that Michael is damned. He's going to be lonely. He's isolating himself from everyone he loves. It is all there at the end of Part 2 as well. It's hammered home in Part 1 and Part 2. And I don't think there's a reason to have Part 3. It, it, it's, you know, there's nothing they do that makes you say, oh, you know, Michael is going to be lonely. Oh, he is. You know, he's not going to save his soul. But that's it. And maybe it's watching the Coda version of it where it is a bit shorter and it is presented as more of this epilogue. I I appreciated a lot in it. I liked the spiritual wrestling. I, I love the confession scene yes. that Pacino has, which is fantastic. Um, yes, I feel like it is more, it it is less of a full story and, you know, the continuing saga of Michael Corleone as it is this desperate attempt. He's at the end of his life. He needs to buy his salvation. It's this last ditch. I need to save my soul. And you know he's not going to. And I appreciate that. I think there are flaws in it that we can get into that keep it from being near the same level as the other two. I also don't think it's as wretched as I had been led to believe by some other people. I think it's a good. And that's, and that's been my short answer to this question forever, which is
1: one is better than than two and three is better than you think it is. Yeah. This (laughs) three is better than its reputation. Uh, uh, here's why I have always liked three and three is a really interesting case. Cause I, I mean, I, I remember very vividly when three came out, I remember seeing it in my local theater in Carroll, Michigan, my hometown theater. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a film that it, okay. For me, the problem with two is that there is no change in Michael and there's no desire to change in Michael. The, the, the film is thematically inert to me. Godfather two is you're only watching it to watch the world expand because you want to live in this world longer. You want to see how Vito came to power. Um, you know, too famously the, the, the Michael Pantangeli, uh, uh not Michael, uh, Frankie Pantangelo character was supposed to be Clemenza. And the guy who played Clemenza basically, the story goes, I don't know that this is true, but the legend is that his wife basically told him, they need you. You need to get more money from them and they wouldn't pay him. So he didn't come back. Oh. And to me, that always felt like the nail in the coffin for two being possibly being as good as one. If that character is Clemenza and you equate this stuff in the past with how Vito puts the initial family together with how it falls apart at the end, because Michael, had, Michael convinces Clemenza to kill himself. That's, there's what you need. That is the dramatic weight that that film needs and doesn't have because it's not that character. And there's no that's why 2 has always been incredibly cold. It's it's pure Michael. 3 to me was fascinating at the time. And remember at the time it was rushed into theaters. Uh, Coppola was not happy with the original theatrical cut. <laughs> He wanted more time to edit the thing. And when it came out on video, originally, it was already altered. I don't think the original theatrical cut exists anymore. I don't think you can find it. Really? Like, yes, there was already like, and it's, it wasn't huge changes, but it was enough changes that when I saw it a second time, I liked it even better. And I don't know if that's because I had seen it once and so I had already had my expectations adjusted accordingly, or if they whatever they did to it actually made it better. Not nearly like the massive recut that, now, not that Dakota is a massive recut. It kind of is, but not, you know, it doesn't, it changes the movie greatly, but why I like three and why I'm glad it exists, even if it's not as good as two is it's a warm film. Two is cold. Three is operatic. Three wants you to cry. There's no crying at the end of two. It's all awful. <laughs> there are no yeah. innocent victims in two. <laughs> there's no one to feel bad for there is no joy in the triumph of what Michael pulls off and not, and that would be true. Even if he, even if he didn't kill Fredo, there's no, there's nothing there. If he doesn't kill Fredo, that's what it's about. It's a cold, cold movie. Not that there's anything wrong with that, <laughs> but that's why I'm happy three exists. Cause I think three is much closer to Coppola's heart and how he would have liked mm. to have ended this story. Rather than leaving Michael alone in Lake Tahoe with nobody, I think leaving him alone in Italy, having watched his daughter die—sorry, spoiler—you've had thirty years—is <laughs> uh, is really work. It was really effective, and I do believe, and I will say this: I will go to my grave fully believing that the sequence at the opera at the end of three is a much better legacy. Uh, is a much better attempt to recapture the end of The Godfather than the cross-cutting at the end of Godfather 2, which to me just feels pointless and utterly like, yep, hey, we did this the first time, so we're going to do this again because we're supposed to do it. It does not feel inspired. It does not feel weighty. It does not feel... It's just... Yeah, this is why I'm glad 3 exists. Yes, technically, it's not as good as 2. But emotionally, it plays better.
0: It's, I, I, I'm glad you said that about the ending at the opera, because I definitely had that thought watching part two when it was all the cutting back and forth. I'm like, Oh, I just saw them do this a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it, it works. It It's not, I, I I'm not going to say Godfather part two is a bad movie. It's a very good movie, but it does feel watching it, especially like right one after the other, you feel that repetition, which I know they did this recut where they cut the first two films together chronologically. The Godfather saga. And I'm wondering how that plays (laughs) like, cause you're seeing it all in one sitting edited together like that. And that that's got to feel super repetitive, but um, I, I do think that opera sequence in part three, it's, it's very ambitious. It's the whole final 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And yeah, what is fascinating is not just all the intrigue going on, but then also the themes of the story. The story being retold on the stage is the story you've just been watching. And it yeah, it really is very, very powerful. And then, of course, what happens on the steps. I, I think it's a much warmer film, like you said. It's a very... Powerful idea. I think there are some technical things that keep it from being having the power oh, yeah. it should have. Sophia Coppola gets, you know, she's the one everyone talks about in this. I don't want to cut her to or, or or pile too much on her because I know the history is she was not supposed to do that role, and I actually think the fact that she's fairly amateurish in it, which my you know is probably an accurate way to say it, um, it kind of works in selling her that she is the innocent outside of the family. Through most of the movie, she didn't really bother me. It felt like she was the one who was not as intricately involved in all this. She's different than Michael and the others. But I don't think she's strong enough as an actor to, se- to sell the emotion in the final sequence. Like, I haven't bought her enough in the movie for that final moment to work. But I think Pacino sells that final moment. And the editing sells that final. Yeah. That sound rips out. That is powerful. And I had to check my had to check my TV and see if something was wrong, but uh, <laughs> it, it really is like that. That's powerful. Uh, I also, you mentioned the actor who played Comenza not returning. I think by not having Robert Duvall in part three, there is an emotional touchstone that is missing uh, by having George Hamilton instead of Duvall, but it keeps it from being great. But still, I think a pretty good movie. It look, it might be,
1: it, it, I go back and forth on the Duval thing in three. Cause he, yes, again, that was one. They wouldn't pay the price. Mm-hmm. The Duval wanted to come back and do it. And I, 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 I am okay with it in that, that, that truly makes his kids the last family. He's got nobody. Okay. And I like the fact that, you know, in my mind, in, this, in the story that I tell myself when I think about this series, you know, that it was, I, there's that scene at the end of two where, you know, he's basically giving Tom Hagen every opportunity to walk away. And Hagen says, no, I'm staying. And I like the fact that I like to think that maybe, you know, a few years down the road, Hagen's like, no, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and just left. You know, <laughs> I know he supposedly died. in the same, but I'm Much better with the thought that he was like, no, this is. This is not good anymore. We need to leave, and I I, I kind of like that. Uh, yeah, in in no way is three the movie that two is. I fully grant. Like I said, and I like the fact that this this new version is called the coda. I like that. I like that it strikes in a, a completely different tone. And let's get into for a second uh, why the coda is better than even the recut version that I think most people have probably seen. Okay. Um, the good in it is they. Uh, you know, you describe the bad stuff in two as being terribly plotty. Three's plotty as well. <laughs> but that plot's real clear. I, three yeah. makes sense. You're never lost in three, even when they're talking about stuff that makes no sense. No one, under, no one understands exactly what Immobiliari is. Even if you f- know the history of the Vatican banking scandal, you don't really have a grasp of what Immobiliari is. But that's fine. That's fine. Fine. It's it's a macguffin esque thing that, that Coppola and Puzo pulled off with this script. And I'm fine with that. Um uh they do such a better job of telling that story in this version. Uh th- th- you know, the there there's a scene halfway through the movie that I remember being the very first scene in the original cut. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like it's that jump, it's jumbled is a bad word. I don't mean it that way. It's that re-edited. It is that recut together in order to make the plot more clear. Okay. In great ways. The weird thing about the ending of the Coda. <laughs> so, uh, and this is where I'm, I'm curious how the very end of the film played for you. How does the very last scene of
0: the Coda play for you? Having not seen the other cut. Okay. Well, I will say I did look up the original ending to the, to the theatrical. So I've seen it. Um, but I will say having, you know, on my first view I liked the idea. I liked the, and I guess spoilers for people who haven't seen the Coda yet, but. You've had 30, okay, you've had about six months for the Coda. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, well, it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like the idea that, like, the worst curse he could get is a long life. That's powerful. I think yes. that that works. I feel like the way it plays out, maybe just based on what he had to work with when he put together the Coda, it is really rushed. Like, okay, good. Yes. You you just, you you go from him on the steps to him sitting there for like two seconds. And then there's some text and that the text basically tells you what the visual already told you anyway. But like, I feel he gets in and out of that ending really quick to where the power wasn't there. I had to sit and think about that for a moment. Like, what was that? Oh, okay. I think it's more effective than him killing over and dying, which when I looked at it, it looked kind of silly, but uh, it, it's weird because it's not like he shot a new ending. He just cuts that ending a few seconds early. Yes. And I was curious
1: if it would feel truncated it or if feels it's just vip-y. me knowing what it is, what, no, what, it, it, what it was intended to
0: be very abrupt. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah. Good. I, I, I like the idea. It's just the execution isn't quite there and maybe yeah. that's just all he had. And whatever. I, I think it's a great idea. I just, It just because you know what he I I get that the original concept is that Michael doesn't get to die like Vito died. He doesn't die at home with his you know grandkids just a few steps away. He dies alone somewhere in Italy. And I get that. But I think it goes a step farther to say, no, he doesn't even get to die. We're not even going to he's we're not even going to be around with him when he dies. He has to sit there and just think about every regret in his life. For the, you know, for the rest of his days. And that's, that's a powerful way to end it. And it leads me to the question I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Now that you
1: have gone through all these, because it's a question that I've talked about a lot in the last six months with, with my daughter, with Emma, we, we kick around the story a lot. And it is, it is, uh, I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question and I'll talk later. So I will phrase it. I will phrase it biblically. mm mm-hmm what is michael's original sin because the question i have especially going back through two is what does he ever do that Vito would not have done oh what is the step beyond and i don't you can make cases for a lot of things and i think you can also make the case that there isn't one Vito had the fortunate of uh, that the good fortune of
0: timing here's here's, all right here's here's what got you asked what Michael's original sin was and I I don't know that I have a great answer for you but uh I I think I'm gonna do my best I think and this is this is built on part two and seeing Vito's story in part two I think there is just something entwined in Michael where he's very American. And I think that is his downfall. I think Vito is really instilled with, you know, this love of family, this respect for family. He, you know, he, okay, he's still a killer, but, uh, you know, he, it really is tied into his values and this tradition that he has, that he, that he's part of and that he respects. And I think Michael comes into that but he's also portrayed as a very american person he he served his country he has a very modern wife you know she's not the traditional wife like his mother is um and and i think that the film never comes out and says it explicitly but he is much more driven by i'm not in this for tradition i'm not in this you know he can say he's in it for family but it's, it's the Walter White thing. He's, he's doing it for himself. He's in the empire building business. And I think that is his sin is he says, you know, he, he, you know, go never go against the family. He's doing everything for the family, but it's not, it's, it's the empire. And I think that is his sin. I think his father built an empire too, but I think there is a distinction. He is, he is very warm. Uh, even as he does evil things, there is a, there is a warmth to veto that you don't see in Michael. But again,
1: I don't disagree with anything you said, but what does Michael do at any point that Vito would not have done? This is what I was stuck with watching, too, again, because let's face what. So Vito signs off on killing Tessio. Mm -hmm. Vito, I believe, signs off on killing Carlo. I believe he signs. I I believe that's the indication, right? He's cool with them whacking. uh,
0: the, The brother in law. Sure, but he's not blood. Okay, but he's family. But he's not his brother. Like I think that's the fil- the distinction the film wants us to make.
1: I, I don't I, know if it's clear. I think so. I agree with you. I, I'm yeah. I'm
0: I'm with you.
1: But you can make the case. I mean, if if one of the sons had done what Fredo does to Michael, even absentmindedly. I mean, Fredo is not trying to get Michael killed. He just makes a mistake. And then compounds the problem by lying to him about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's Fredo's death sentence. It's the lie. It's not his stupidity. It's not his. It's not how easily gullible he is. How he can be used in order to put Michael in a position that makes him vulnerable. It's that he lies to Michael about it. If I, someone lied to Vito, nobody does. So the question is, what is it in Michael that makes? him someone people would lie to when no one lies to Vito, and i'm just getting here myself i'm not trying to yeah. trick you i'm just getting there no, now i talking about it
0: i don't know because i don't think the film is interested in that i think it's really interesting and I, i'm saying that i don't know if there's an answer to that i agree i don't think I th-
1: two is interested in that i agree
0: i think i think the uh the thing they want to draw is that michael is just not the man Vito was Um, you know, he from the beginning of that movie, he cannot hold that family together. Like in that in that scene at the beginning, that family is already the the fracture lines are there. You know, in the beginning of part two, and and I think oh yeah, they're at the end of one. (laughs) Yes, he doesn't have he doesn't. There is something he is missing, and I think it is he is. But I don't know if any of the sons would have fared better, right? I think. Vito probably oh, gave absolutely. birth to three sons who were going to screw this up. You know, Sonny oh, yeah, would yeah, yeah, go yeah. to war with everyone. Fredo would Fredo it. And, uh, you know, uh, well, so I, I, the adopted son was the only one who could have done it. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the problem with part two is it's very enamored with Vito. And, you know, that's that's the most compelling person in the whole movie. Yeah, um, and he's not there. Well, so, yeah, De
1: Niro, yes, De Niro is there as, Vito. yes.
0: Yeah, I, so I I don't know what Michael's exact, the what he would have done different than Vito, I think it's just a different makeup that sets him, but, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know that Vito is, would be seen as a, you know, a having a clean soul at the end of any of this. It might just be that he secured you know, a better future for his family. Maybe the whole problem was when Michael came back at the first place. You know, he was supposed to be the one who was untouched by all this. Right. And, oh, right. Yes. yes. And, and he instead comes back and does what his father never wanted him to do. And that screws it up for everyone. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Fill well, but as for- except his father does want him to do it. But <laughs> let's let's be real clear. Vito's real good with Michael taking over in the whole plan <laughs> when it gets put together. <laughs> right, he may not have wanted right. it, but he, right. he signs off on it big time. <laughs> the
0: the killing of Fredo. I mean, I don't know if that's something Vito wouldn't have done. I think what what they wanted was that the audience would definitely say, "Oh, Vito wouldn't have done that," right? Right, but that's I. That's, don't, I, but, that's but why I they ladle have, in. That's yeah. why they ladle in the last scene where um you know it's the flashback the, flashback. the day Michael enlists and Fredo's the only one who sticks up. Then everyone's like, oh, why, well, why'd you kill Fredo? And, you know, that's the whole obsession over the third movie, which I, I like the fact that these movies play into each other. The, the first and second feel very much in dialogue with each other. The third movie feels very much in dialogue with the first two. Like, they resonate for each other. They don't yeah. tell the story and move on. Um, yeah. Which maybe I, in I, a I, Marvel I, world, I'm thankful for that. But... I, I
1: I I I would argue that one... You know, I guess my argument is I find both two and three unnecessary, yeah. which is my only point in saying that I think the first one is is unimpeachable. It is one of the ten great, uh, certainly American films, if not all time films. Oh no, I it hundred. It's a perfect piece of work. But yeah, I yeah hundred. They, f- they do, they do, they do, they do refract each other very interestingly.
0: I I do a hundred percent agree though. They are not necessary. I I don't know whether any sequels necessary. Like I've, I've had that thought. I'm like, is there any sequel I needed? Oh, the before films. (laughs) Right. But, but if they had just done before sunset or before sunrise, would I have been okay with that? Like if I hadn't expected more, I don't know that I needed more to the story. In -hmm. fact, you could argue that having a sequel uh, and, and, you know, down the road, I'm sure eventually we'll talk about those movies at some point, but You could argue that having a sequel undoes something in the first one. And you could say having a third one undoes something in the second, but (laughs) whatever. I I mean, they're all inessential, but I do think, I do think each of the Godfathers does kind of blunt the impact of the movie that came before. Oh, I would would disagree. It just, this is just a
1: matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I understand what you're saying. And I agree with you. I would just never phrase it that way. What I would say is, they're they they do no harm to what came before right they are but they don't elevate what came before right which is what the before trilogy does
0: okay before sunset
1: makes before sunrise even better okay yes godfather part two does not make godfather part one better (laughs) and that's what i'm talking about when i'm talking about essential it does not feel like Okay, I agree with that. That's that's what I'm getting at. But yes, I I believe we are basically looking at the exact same thing from two different
0: points and describing the same thing. It's really hard when you discuss this over Zoom, but
1: (laughs) oh I kind of like it. It beats the phone.
0: Criticism over Zoom. I like being able to see you. Um we've gone all this time. We have not mentioned the words Marlon Brando once. Uh and, and and I think I brought this up when we talked about it in January. That is a performance that I should have watched again or watched the first time and then watched again and been like, this performance has been so parodied, so paraded through everything that it should not work for me. And oh my God, is it a great performance. And it's because nobody had that much muscle control over
1: their eyebrows. You've said that. Yeah. Watch that sequence when he's, you know, Willis, Gordon Willis knows he doesn't even have to show his eyes when, you know, when he starts to cry, when he brings Sonny's body to the mortician, you know, his face is dark Mm -hmm. you can't see his eyes, but you, those eyebrows move in like 47 different directions at once. I don't, I'm trying to think of anybody that's ever come close I guess John Belushi maybe had that much eyebrow control (laughs) and had never used it for those purposes. That, that shot is devastating. You barely see his face. Yeah. (laughs) It's a spectacular performance. Yes, you're right. It has, it is something that like the big star albums, just you, you've heard what came from it before you ever got to see it. And if you, if you, if you were unfortunate for that to be the case, Hopefully, you can appreciate the incredible power of what of what Brando pulls off in that performance because it is it is
0: stunning. And then De Niro in the second one, it, it, he it would be so easy just mimic it, right? Like that was such yeah. an iconic performance, and he inhabits that. That is a fantastic performance. Yeah, like I, there's nothing else I can say about that. It's just I, I also didn't realize he was going to do the entire thing in Italian, which is even more impressive. Yeah. Um and, and then I I don't like I I can't think other than maybe Sophia Coppola if there is a false note in the entire cast of this trilogy. Like Pacino is just you know again, I, anything I say people have already written about 20 times, but he's yeah. so damn good and I I do think I think I went into Dakota expecting that this would be um Pacino hamming it up a bit. Like, cause that was kind of the perspective. Oh, they're asking him to do it again. And you know, this was when he really went big and, and he does it. Oh, it is so good. Even, even the, uh, you know, everyone does the, just when I thought it was out, they, they pull me, back, me in. back in and everyone does it really big and like shouts it. So that's why and it's a really quiet moment. Uh, and it's followed just by before that. the diabetic attack, right? Yeah. It's just
1: before he has. Yeah. So he's
0: already not lucid. Yeah, <laughs> when
1: he gets there.
0: Yeah. Oh God. I mean, it just everyone is a joy to watch in this.
1: And I and I will say this, especially going through the coda, because I hadn't watched three in probably fifteen years. Um, I don't blame Sofia Coppola. It's not a good part. Like it's, it's the All problem right. is the part is so underwritten. She does not have the skill to dig out whatever might be interesting in it. I do not blame her. It's easy to blame her. If you aren't knowledgeable, (laughs) it's easy to point at the actor and say, Nope, you screwed up. No, I don't think Winona Ryder would have been much better. Maybe she would have been more smooth. She would have been, it probably would have played better just because she's a better actress, but it's still a terrible part. It's a part that is there to be. It is the thing that the men are fighting over. She does not have she does not have a life of her own, (laughs) which is, to be fair, all of the women in the entire series. This is this is this is a sausage party of a story, if ever there was one. (laughs) Um, But that said, you know, the the price of that is you lose the women in your life. That's what the that's what the films are about. That is that is the visual motif that, that ends the first movie and is repeated in the second and made it operatic red in blood in the third. Yeah. You, know, you will lose the women in your life if you behave this way, and that's good. I'm okay with that. I understand. I'm a straight white male. That's a horrible way to put it, but. <laughs> that works at a sheer operatic level for me. I, 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 I I appreciate that. Like we're saying one tells that story
0: clearly and fine all on its own. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like the fact that in part two and three, Diane Keaton is so good in it. Like, I, I, I think she's great throughout the trilogy and I like that, you know, she isn't stuck into that mold where she's just going along with everything. She gets out of that. Um, and that, that scene where she leaves Michael in part two is a really well done scene. Like her performance in that is really solid. It's I, I don't I again, my problem is I, I still
1: think it's underwritten. I, I think it's obvious. I, I It's my problem with all of two. It doesn't escape it. It's well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's all you, there. You are
1: just... You are driving home a point you already made. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it is all there
0: when he closes the door at the first. <laughs> right. I'm
1: like I don't know what else I need. I don't need that scene. And that's why I love her in 3. When you get to see the adult K, the the <laughs> older K and the the point at which they don't even need to fight
0: anymore. You know, the, oh, point, the point the point whole- they get their own little before movie in the the
1: exactly exactly yes Yes. richard Linklater's godfather i would see that the uh it's yeah i i think that is a much richer emotional experience than that scene in two which is yes she's great i'll still i'll 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 still take that sequence in three over it
0: The only the only performance in the whole thing that I I think everything hit that had come before ruined me on was when Joe Montaigne showed up, oh. and I'm just like, and, and it's not that he's bad at all. It is that <laughs> I have thirty years of fat Tony in my head. I I'll get so, I get that. So so I'm like, I, oh, any minute he's gonna say, "You have twenty four hours to show we are serious." You have twelve hours. <laughs> You, have, have you ever seen House of House of Games, David Mammoth's uh, first movie? I have not, no.
1: <gasps> okay. I, 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 w- I would like you to see it is the best part Mantenia ever had. It's the best part he ever will have. He is so good in that movie. It's a really good film. I will check that uh, out. But it's it's it was Mamet's first directorial effort, and it's uh it's 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 the reason I will watch Joe Mantegna do anything to this day. I don't care. He'll never come close to it. He knows it and he's fine with it. And it's really good. (laughs) It's fine. I am not insulting the man's body of work. I like him as an actor a great deal, but that movie is, and that performance is out
0: of this world. Right. Uh, The other person we have not really mentioned much is Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Um, And God, I mean, what a run in the (laughs) seventies, like, right. Like, There's not much more to say than that. But you think of the movies people identify that decade with. He directed at least four of them. (laughs) Yeah, he was. He Yeah.
1: And I think he was four for four as a director on the decade. Yeah, that's pretty true.
0: But it's it's so like. The first movie just. It's so like the way he commands you, like walks you through that family, that whole the the first hour of that movie. Just yeah, the wedding. So well, it's it's the just, wedding. Well, but even that what, what I what I appreciate about it, too, and it maybe goes back to what you say about Godfather three being warm and Godfather. The first one is warm. And yeah, it is this movie where, yeah, people are doing horrible things. The reason you don't question it too much is you're also spending a ton of time in hospital waiting rooms with them in kitchens yeah. with them you are invited into that and you know you you don't have that outside world you're not tracking the cops you know you don't get you know the you don't really see the people hurt by what they're doing you know unless they're competitors who that's just business and he, it's so fantastic. Like, and I was reading, um, like I said, I was reading Robert Evans' book uh, a few months back. <laughs> and the fact that no one wanted Coppola for this. That's, that's
1: according to Evans, yes.
0: <laughs> but like, and what had he done? Remember,
1: right? Coppola and Evans, Coppola hated Evans. That's true. Let's, let's be real, let's be real clear <laughs>
0: where this is coming from, from Evans, okay? <laughs> but it is, it's just such a beautifully well Directed all through the trilogy. Like I I, I think Paul Shear on a podcast I was listening to, he said it looks like the whole thing has been filmed through mahogany. And that oh yeah, it's such a gorgeous thing. Like I think when I saw it, like I said, it was on VHS, so it was probably washed out and not as great, but I mean everything stood out so well in this. And oh yeah. Oh, it's
1: it's Gordon Willis was a master, an absolute master. And uh I, I have so many things I want to keep bringing up. <laughs> yeah, bring them up. <laughs> it's uh yes, Gordon Willis's photography, his cinematography in all three of them is is just heart stoppingly great, and it is it is hard to see. It is it does look like it was shot through mahogany. The only person I've seen come close to being able to recapture it is Fincher. Fincher's mm-hmm. don't always figured out how to capture that brown amber and still make it seem a little golden without while still making it seem dark I don't know I don't know how
0: to describe it other than that it's that collision of that it's almost light and it, <laughs> it's fantastic you know and now everyone would just color grade it right like you would go on the computer yeah. and, and put on the godfather filter or whatever but that wasn't what they did then and it looks so much richer and Just you just soak in this movie. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, And again, the first one, I think the other reason I just I prefer it to the second is it is also just so damn entertaining. You know, there is there are suspense sequences that are just thrilling to what like the whole scene at the restaurant. Um, But there's also the scene where Michael goes back to find his dad at the hospital and it's played like a horror movie. Yeah, it's so. Oh, God, it's so good. And that sequence, that sequence ends with my favorite thing in the movie, which is okay.
1: I, I can say that <laughs> I would probably said that about forty seven different moments in that movie. One of my favorite moments in the movie when he's outside and he's you know he lights the cigarette for Enzo the for the baker, mm-hmm. the kid who you know, they did the favor for in the beginning of the movie, and the movie takes the time to for Michael to realize oh he's not shaking as he lights his lighter. Michael is completely cool in this moment, and Michael notes it that's great. That is the kind of grace note that is truly missing from two. <laughs> There's no moment where somebody realizes what they are capable of and realizes that they just do it. Yeah. Cause it brings, it brings, it brings our, it, it takes for granted that we've seen one and know it and don't have to learn these characters again. Yeah. Uh, one of the other reasons to really, to really love one over, over two.
0: Do we have anything else about these or? I, one quick thing, yeah, yeah, because this was the other thing. I, this gave me an excuse to dig
1: back into one of my favorite things to go back and look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so next year, Chris, I want to I want to dial in a special episode. I want to plan this a year in advance. It, it will be a year that ends in a two, which means it's time for the Sight and Sound poll. Okay, where Sight and Sound asks directors and critics around the world to submit their ten greatest films, and they release a list of they compile it all and list the greatest films ever made. So I went digging through the archive on this because I was curious how the Godfather films had fared over the years. So they do this every year that ends in a two. They've done it since 1952. In 1982, the original Godfather was 31st, all-time greatest films. Now, interestingly, in 1992, that was the first year that Sight and Sound also polled the directors as well as critics. And I think it's very interesting to note that the critics have the Godfather uh tied for 93rd at Jeez. that point however the filmmakers the directors have part one uh tied for sixth and part two tied for ninth which lets you know where this film sits in history it is a film that directors keep alive and directors mm-hmm. understand how great it is uh and in 2002 they it was the first time that they combined the directors and the critics poll and combined the godfather was fifth and godfather part two was seventh okay (laughs) and in 2012 which interestingly is the year that they basically put the smackdown and said uh they were basically going to penalize you if you voted for you had to vote for them separately they would no longer take single votes for series of films and in that case, uh, Godfather 1 was 21st among the critics. Godfather Part 2 was tied for 31st among critics. And Godfather 1 is 7th, tied for 7th among directors. And Part 2 is tied for 30th among wow. directors. Which, again, <laughs> proves makes point. our point <laughs>
0: <laughs> What that I 1 is
1: much better than 2. <laughs> and I'm curious to see uh, next year how much this changes because for a while there it looked like when they were combining them godfather was going to overtake uh, uh kane and of course when they instituted this change in the rule in 2012 we knew godfather then was not going to overtake kane and of course now we all know it's vertigo which isn't even hitchcock's best movie which really puts a crimp in the history of second pole for me <laughs> but <laughs> that saying said, that's a whole nother episode we could do that's all uh, but see. that's to say i believe history is on our side chris
0: I, the godfather is a better film than godfather 2 well i remember However, i will say no votes for godfather 3 no vote in any godfather. of these decades shocking well maybe the coda <laughs> will make it next time i remember Ebert; like he got a lot of flack for a long time because i think he gave i think he gave godfather part two two and a half or three stars and like he got a lot of flack for that mm. and he went back and he did include it in his great movies essay. And he's like, I still think Godfather is a better movie. He's like, that's not to knock down Godfather too, but Godfather is just a better movie. Yeah. And I I would agree. I am curious. The low critical reception. Is that just because it was so popular? <laughs> like, like, is there, was there the fatigue that, you know, sometimes builds into some of the movies? It's a good what? question. I don't know. I, you know,
1: I don't, I don't know if, I I don't know if it took a generation of critics who had it already there and accepted it as one of the great films. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, so a critic in 1982 or a critic in 1972 has been reviewing films for a long time. Mm -hmm. The Godfather is just another film. (laughs) Yeah. You know, unless you decide this is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. It's sitting right there. By 1992, I think you have a generation of critics who have paid attention to the directors who know how great The Godfather is and so have kept it up there. And I think that that's worth it. And you're right, his original Godfather 2 review is three stars, even yeah. it I, I, was. I don't know that I ever knew that. I am intrigued. I'm going to read this review as soon as we are done. <laughs> no, I don't go and read Roger Ebert reviews before we
0: record. It's not part of my research anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to peek behind the curtain. The last thing I have about the Godfather, and it's another name we have not mentioned yet. Uh, so, have you read Mario Puzo's novel? I have. Okay, I read it I a think, long time ago, but same I did here. Yes, and I think it is. I would put it right alongside Jaws as one of those things where the movie is much better than the book. Uh, yes. And it's interesting because it feels almost like he got a do over when he wrote the screenplay for it. Yes, like like that screen that novel is a mess. It is bloated and tawdry.
1: I, I, I you know, uh, this story has been. So, I mean, I, 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 Coppola when he put up the Godfather diaries did a couple of years ago did you know a press tour where he told most of the great stories that I've I had grown up knowing just because I picked all this stuff out and wanted to know I was, a, yes, I might've been a tad obsessed with The Godfather at different points <laughs> in my life. Uh And, and, you know, I, I, it's absolutely true that Puzo thought of himself as a literary writer. He wanted to be a deeply respected, you know, novelist, and he made his living writing porn and pulp, <laughs> you know, <laughs> under assumed names. And when he wrote The Godfather, he said, I'm just going to write a hit book he, did, he wrote it, you know, he wrote it purposefully writing what he thought was beneath his capabilities in order to appeal to a mass audience. And yeah, it was, it turned out to be the perfect blueprint for, for an absolutely perfect artistic work of art in the cinema. Uh, and for all of, it's easy to to laugh at Puzo for all that. I do, my favorite note I have ever heard given a director, and again, Coppola has told this story and I, I, I adore it, that Coppola wanted to throw everything he knew and had into the Godfather, because was just trying everything to make this as grandly entertaining as possible. So he wrote in that scene where Clemenza gives Michael that quick lesson in how to make sauce for twenty guys when you got to do it. And uh, and he originally he and he just wrote down his sauce recipe, which is you know tomatoes, little sugar, you brown some sausage you do this, you do that. And he gives the note, he gives the script to Puzo and Puzo's note back on the scene was gangsters don't Brown. They fry, (laughs) (laughs) which is a perfect note. That's a perfect note. And you'll notice it in the movie. Clemenza says you fry up some sausage (laughs) because Coppola knew. So yes, which is to say, never discount that. Yes. Mario Puzo deserves a lot of credit. Uh, worked with Coppola on all three screenplays mm-hmm. it, it, Absolutely There's a reason
0: it is credited to him <laughs> you know, It is Mario Puzo's Godfather Part 2 In the opening credits <laughs> And from what I remember It is a better novel than Jaws Which is uh... I am sure that that's your I also think the, la- the last line of the novel
1: Is one of the best last lines I've ever read I love the last The last page of the Godfather is great
0: I, It's been Check it so out. long Check it out. It took them it took them three movies to try to capture the the quality of that last line. <laughs> well, Perry, this has been fun and I think we found stuff to say about The Godfather. I think so. Which is good. We we might get people mad at us, but that's okay. I'm good with that. Well not mad. Just let us know. Just listen. This is a conversation. Tell, tell your friends. Get them to argue too. That'd be great. Dude, don't send Luca. <laughs> Just don't send Luca. <laughs> that is gonna bring us to the end of our episode. Perry, do you want to tell people what we're going to talk about next in our series? Uh, did we decide on an order? I can't remember if we decided on an order. Uh, but I will tell you. A... Yeah, go ahead. The, uh, just pick it uh, up.
1: the episode's coming up. We're going we're gonna to hit some more 70s classics. We're going to talk about Chinatown. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Network. We're going to talk about The Deer Hunter. And all this
0: is a lead up to uh, a oh. run of shows. I think you forgot one. What did I forget? I think we also had Days of Heaven on there. No, Badlands. Badlands. That's right. Okay. Yes. Badlands. You're right. Malick. We're going to
1: do Badlands. Yes. Yes. We're going to do Badlands. Okay. The Malik film I always am up to watch. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm very excited about. And that'll take us through uh, much of June, probably, maybe into July. And then I'm very excited because as we were kicking around this idea, I discovered that my dear friend and co-host is unfamiliar with the early work of Robert Altman. And so get ready later this summer for a a summer full of Altman. Uh, I'm excited to share, uh,
0: to share these films with, with Chris and to talk about them with him. I am really pumped for this. This is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Probably take us, I would guess we'll probably hit Altman about the time fall runs around, but, but, you know, that gives you a lot of stuff to listen to. Uh, And and I think it's gonna be fun. I, you know, I I think the seventies is just, it's something that's fun to revisit and, it's much better than the eighties. But Perry, where can people find you online? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at
1: Perry Loves Film. You could hear me on the Lucianne Lance Show on WLBY in Ann Arbor and online, and you can hear me uh, occasionally on the Catholic Ray Mission Podcast. Listen this uh, a week from Saturday,
0: week Friday, week from Saturday. We're going to do a deep dive through the filmography of Mister Spike Lee. Oh, fine. looking forward to that. That'll be fun. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Criticisms. Uh, And I will also say, if you have any inclination towards anything Christian pop culture, which may be a niche that uh, maybe many of our listeners aren't you know, too into, but I have recently started a blog called the Jesus Junkyard over on Pathos, which is a online discussion for uh, a, <laughs> for faith, for faith in Jesus, uh, Perry's doing the buddy Christ. And, uh, that really kind of lets you know the tone I'm going to be going at. It's going to be looking back at Christian pop culture, but also I think some things that have been kind of looked at unfairly askance by Christian pop culture and dogma will definitely fit into that. Uh, so yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes and we will be back to discuss, I think Chinatown in two weeks. And I will
1: say Tune in because I will get to drop the best inside joke about the Godfather series, but I have to drop it in the Chinatown episode. So come back for more Godfather 2. Sounds good. We'll see you then.